Praise God. Praise the Lord. We do thank the Lord for all that he is doing. In this, on December, or I should say in mid-December 2019, a group of scientists are responsible for de disease control in Wuhan, China, became concerned about a, re a virus that resembled a fatal disease called SARS that became an epidemic in 2002. That was a year that uh, Kenita was already paid for a full, fully uh, scheduled flight in a couple weeks in China, and she was rerouted because of the SARS epidemic. Uh, the scientists waited until January the 3rd, 2020, to report the spread of this new virus to the government in Beijing, the capital of China. The scientists were the scientists were told by the top officials not to go public with their findings. Instead, they went on with a public gathering of 40,000 people where they annually met for a meal, exposing 40,000 people to a disease that had not properly been identified and that was spreading without the knowledge of those who participated. And by the time the event was finished, the disease was spreading so rapidly that five million people were told that they had to vacate their homes in Wuhan, China, to find safer locations so that they could properly decontaminate the entire city. Ironically, the physician who initially wanted to go public with this new disease he was arrested and silenced and ultimately contracted the disease, and we probably would not know about him if he had not died of the disease that he was trying to protect the public from. When the government could no longer hide the truth, an official announcement was made January the 20th in 2020, and the virus was given the name the, corona, the coronavirus. It is believed that this disease is, was initially transmitted from animals to humans because the concentration of patients who contracted the disease worked in a market where Chinese meat uh, sellers housed wild animals in very unclean and concentrated areas, and in that area of the world, people are interested in eating any and everything, dogs and bats and so forth, but these animals were kept in unsanitary conditions, and people purchased those animals and ate, and it is believed that that is how the disease was initially spread from animals to humans, and now from human to human. Since the virus was first reported publicly, eight 85,994 people have been infected worldwide, and 2,943 people have died. The coronavirus has spread to 30 countries, including America. 
As a result, the world economy is threatened. The stock market has experienced in the last two weeks the worst uh, outcomes since the 2008 near crash of the American economy when Barack Obama became president. Uh, this country was on the brink of economic collapse. And so we've experienced that in the last two weeks. It goes without saying that every time you turn on the television or read emails from the major news outlets, and even as you are making your way, if you wanted to buy Asian food, people are avoiding Asian restaurants, and people are pointing to people that are of Asian uh, descent, go home, and this is, you brought this to our country, et cetera, and uh, physically attacking people of Asian descent, uh, acting out of ignorance and stereotypes. But the country is in a panic. Uh, people have brought a face mask on a, on a level that they were actually, from, uh, in many places, they've been sold out. Not purchased by the hospital, by, but by individuals, even though they're saying that the only people that should wear face masks are the ones who are infected because uh, the face masks are, uh, don't protect you from the disease. Uh, there are some basic precautions, but the question is, as I've been hearing all of the panic and the fear, the hysteria is, what is the Christian response? How should we handle uh, these kinds of situations where the experts are able to tell us what the problem is, but they have no solution? And so the good news this morning is that God has an answer for every one of man's problems. And I believe in Psalm 46, verse 10, where the psalmist tells us, he says, be still in the midst of the coronavirus panic, in other financial concerns that we may have, and political concerns that are facing us in this country today. Be still and know that I am, I am God. While I would never suggest that we need to take these things lightly and not respond to basic precautions that are being offered, I want you to know that Jehovah Jireh is still our healer. He is the physician that has never lost a case. He is the physician that has promised that he would care for his own. I believe that there are at least six things in the word of God that we need to consider during these times when I, where God is challenging us as Christians to be the light in a dark world, to be the city set upon a hill, to be salt where there is the need for, uh, where there's a need for thirst and where there's a need for preservation, and that we would be in a position, as, as Peter said, be willing and ready to give an answer with fear and trembling to every man who asks a reason of the hope that is within us. We do have an answer. And I believe that at times such as this, this is when the Christians stand tallest and where we can be the greatest blessing to a world that is without God. Now, there's six things that I want to consider with you that will help you as you look in 
your own private time and into this passage uh, from Psalm 46. First of all, we need to be still because God, because of God's protection. Be still because of God's protection. Be still because of God's provision is the second thing that we're going to see. You can be still because of God's power. The third thing, we're going to consider that I can be still, you can be still because of God's presence. And finally, we can be still because of God's proven track record. And I think I skipped something, but uh, God's proven track record, that's the fifth thing. And then the final thing is be still because of the promises of God. Say promises of God. Verse 10 of Psalm 46 is a key to understanding what the writer of this particular psalm wants us to get, grasp. And when, when he says, be still, he, is, he doesn't mean stop talking, stop working, don't think, become passive, become callously indifferent, don't care about what's going on around you, just put your head in the sand, you know, by his stripes we're healed, and we can touch deadly serpents and we shall not die. He's not telling us to be presumptuous. When Jesus went to the pinnacle of the temple during the temptation in Matthew chapter 4, he, he went to the top of the temple after having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil said, turn these stones into bread, and Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He could have turned the stones into bread, but it wasn't if he could, it was who was telling him to do it. And so he said, no, we live by the preceding word of God. And then he went to the top of the temple, and the devil said, if you are the son of God, or since you are, cast yourself from the top of the temple so that the angels will capture you because it is written, and the devil can quote scripture even though out of context. And Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so sometimes as Christians, we can be presumptuous. We can put God to the test. I remember working with a young lady, just 34 years old. I never, she was a, a hospice nurse, and she never wore gloves, no matter what medications or chemicals she was dealing with. She just put it under the blood, and God's got this. And at 34 years of age, she died of lung cancer. And while it remains to be seen as to what exactly caused it, but I would say that the precaution of wearing gloves was given for a reason. And so we don't want to put God to the test the same way Jesus got to the, tip of the top of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple, is the same way that he could get down. So God shouldn't be expected to do anything for us that he's already given us the power to do for ourselves. Somebody say amen. amen. So he says, don't be callously indifferent. That's not what he's saying. Be still actually means in this context to cease from striving. Stop. Stop fighting. Stop kicking. I often hear people say, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. And I say, stop trying and start trusting. Stop fighting. Today we would say, snap out of it. Get a grip. Stop tripping. God's got this. I don't care whatever this represents in your life. God got it. Be still. Stop worrying. Stop fretting. 
Stop trying to handle what you cannot control. The battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And so he says, be still. Stop striving. Oh, if some of us would just get this. Oh, we would have happier marriages. We would be less miserable. We would be easier to get along with if we would simply learn how to be still. And here's the condition. It says, says, be still, and in that way, you will know that I am God. I can't really show you all that I am and what I can do because you keep getting in the way. Be still. Because of his protection in verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, we will not be in terror, even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with their swelling, Selah, pause and be silent. Meditate. Meditate on those words. God is our protection. He's our refuge and strength. Notice it says that it is God. And it's interesting that the Hebrew word that is used for God, there are many names for God in the Bible, and each one of them represents a perfection, an attribute, a characteristic of God's divine nature. And while that's good to know theologically, the practical part of that, the reason why God reveals himself in different names is because we need to see him in our experience in different ways. Sometimes we need to see him as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who provides. Sometimes we need to see him as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who heals. Sometimes we need to see him as El Shaddai, the almighty God. Sometimes, so, so, so we need to see God in different ways. And so in this instance, in the time of trouble, he reveals himself as Elohim, the supreme one, the almighty one, the one who has all power. He is the one who is the God of all flesh, and there's nothing too hard for him. He's Elohim, the supreme one, the mighty one, the one who has all power. The name Elohim is the one that is recorded in the book of Genesis, verse 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, and the I am is the plural form of God. So it includes indirectly that it's not just God the Father, there's God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that during the time that Elohim spoke into existence, everything that came into existence that previously was not, it says that the Spirit of God hovered upon the face of the deep. And then we learn later that nothing that was made was created without the word of God. And we know that the word of God is the son of God who became flesh. So all three of the members of the Trinity are present even in the earliest beginning of time, the book of Genesis. And so Elohim, 
is the one who's our protector. Aren't you glad about that? I know you thought it was your alarm system and, and, and those vitamins you took, but I, I come to tell you today that your alarm systems will fail you. The doctors will diagnose you, and they can't figure it out. You can't figure it out. But he who is our protector is the same one who fashioned men from the dust of the earth. And as handsome as Adam was and as fine as that model that he created and formed from the dust of the earth, until Elohim, the Almighty One, breathed into his nostrils. He was not alive. He was simply a corpse. But God made him a living soul. Now, how does God protect us? The Bible says he is our refuge and our strength. He is our refuge. The word refuge gives the connotation of a, of a place that you can run for cover and, and, and for, for shelter in the time of need. Anybody ever been in trouble? And, have you ever just been, I know there are times I've run from school with folks on my track and they never caught me. I just, you know, I just had that extra gear. <laughs> and so he says, God is our refuge. So our refuge is not a place. Our refuge is a person. And the picture is this, he says, David says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from which comes my help. The hills are an actual place. But then he adds, my help comes from the Lord. I was running from people who were trying to harm me, and I knew that if I could just get to 32nd and Dolphin, if I could just get there, and if the right people laid their eyes on me, I don't care who was chasing me. I remember one time <laughs> I kept ringing this man's bell and I'd take off with my friends running. I'd lay on that bell and that man would come out. He'd be, he'd be so mad and we'd be laughing and joking. One time I rang the bell and he snatched the door open and he bolted out and I went to stepping. I went to running. And I, I remember I opened the door and I dove into my house and he kind of grabbed the heel of my shoe. <laughs> but once I was in the shelter of my home, once I got around my people, see, he had to let the heel go. I want you to know that the Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your shelter. In the time of storm, he will hide you under the wing of his mighty arms. Now, notice when he'll protect you, he says, the Bible says, he is a very present help in the time of trouble. What that means is whenever, wherever, for however long, that God is a very present help. That means that his help is available in abundance without any limit in supply. Whatever help you need. It's available, and it never runs out. God's arms are never too weak to, re to deliver us and to protect us. He's a present help in the time of storm. Paul pointed this way. He says, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory through who? Through Christ Jesus. He is a present help in the time of trouble. He's a very, he is, his grace is sufficient. 
Whatever you need, it's, he has enough, more than enough. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, what does he protect us from? The Bible says, therefore, I will not be afraid, even when the earth is removed, and though the mountains be carried away in the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and are troubled, be troubled. I like that. That is a present, continuous event that's going on. Though the waters are troubled, though the present is hard, though I don't know how this is going to work out, and I don't know how long I can hold out, though the mountains shake in its swelling, Selah, pause and meditate on the fact that I'm God. I will protect you. God will protect you from, from the crises that comes in your life. He said, therefore, I will not be afraid. He said, when the earthquakes of life come, earthquakes are figurative and also spirit. It's, it's it, the, the physical and also figurative earthquakes. Earth, where the earth actually, if you lived in California at any time, an earthquake could occur. I was at a cemetery at all places when an earthquake occurred in Delaware. And I wondered when I drove up why people were so solemn and they were just waiting for me to get in there and do my business because there had been an earthquake. And so he, he's saying, uh, uh, so, so earthquakes can be real or figurative. They are physical or emotional that when they occur, you find yourself in a crisis. Anybody ever been in a crisis? You ever been in a situation that you just felt like the bottom in your life was falling out? Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that we'll never experience fear. He said, I will fear no evil. And that doesn't mean that we don't have normal fear in response to dangerous situations. I ain't afraid. I'll stand right in front of this car. I saw a kid, somebody in Camden, pulled out a gun during the football game, and he started shooting. And everybody took off. The referees fell on the ground. But the quarterback was, here he was, just strutting across. And he's, first of all, he's young. And he don't know no better. It turned out that a kid got shot in the neck and died. Now, if you're in that kind of situation, don't you be, in the name of Jesus, I declare that gunning won't hit me. In the name of Jesus, I'm bulletproof. In the name of Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just fly up like with wings. And no, in the name of Jesus, you better get to stepping. So when you are in danger or someone that you love, God has instilled in us inherently something on the inside that causes us to become the fear causes flight. You can pick up cars and you, didn't even, you couldn't even push the, the vacuum cleaner. Mothers saved their children from 1,000-pound, 2,000-ton cars because that fear, that, that, that energy just kicks in during times of danger. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. So he's not saying that we won't ever fear. He's not saying that, uh, uh, that, that not only will he not, he's not saying that earthquakes won't occur. He said, though earthquakes occur. We're not exempt from the, from the coronavirus. It's here. But he said, even in the midst of the earthquake, in the midst of my crises, 
when it's really dark and I can't see the light, I, I'm not going to be afraid because I'm going to choose to be still. And so he said, in the time of crisis, God is my protection. He doesn't say that troubles won't come. Don't, don't believe what you're hearing on TV. Troubles will come. What he's saying about the kind of fear, he says, I will not be in torment. I'm not going to be controlled by anxiety and worry and stress. I will not let fear dominate me in such a way that it disables my, my faith. Well, I'm not, you can't trust God while at the same time controlled by fear and anxiety. The greatest hindrance to realizing your potential and purpose in God is fear. David says, I will not be afraid. Or the, the psalmist says, I will not be afraid. Not dominated. If you're being dominated by fear, I want you to know if that's a lifetime experience when you get ready to, to do the new thing that God is calling you to do, that can become a stronghold in your life. And the way that we break strongholds, he says, he says, pause and meditate on the fact that Elohim is your protector. Somebody say amen. amen. He'll protect us from collapsing under pressure. He says, and, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. What the, what the, when he talks about the mountains being actually removed from their foundations, what he's talking about is when the foundations of our life are actually being shaken and the things that we depend on it and the crutches that we have in our life, when, when our family is taken from us and when, when the people that we love can't help us and we can't help them, he said, I will not be afraid because the foundation of my life is really not the mountains. It's really, I love my wife and I love my children and my job and I, I do need a, some money in a house. But what really is keeping me in my storm is Elohim. And so I'm not going to collapse even when the very foundational things of my life are being shaken. So he will protect me in my crisis, protect me in my, when things would, would be, my foundation would be collapsing. He also will protect me when it's chaotic. He says, though the waters roar, and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling. He's talking about the tidal waves. Once the earthquake is done, and the mountains have been moving, the, the, the foundations, and you're in a position where you're trying to rebuild, you finally pass the storm. Now the tsunami. Now the aftershocks. When you think you can start over, and, and, and as soon as you sing like you got one foot forward, and and you're making some progress, here comes another storm. He says, even in the chaos of the uncertainty of starting again, when the tidal waves of life come, I'm not going to be afraid. Not because these things don't happen, but because the God who is yet seated on the throne, who is high and lifted up, and the this God is the one who keepeth me, who neither slumbers nor sleep. He's got me. I'm going to be still because God is my protection. He's my protection. Do you believe that? I don't care what you're going through. One of the things that will cause you to know that you've grown is that you learn how to rest 
in God's ability to protect you. Somebody say amen. A second thing as we move on, be still because of God's provision. Say his provision. There's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is where in the midst of her she shall not be moved. God shall help her just in the nick of time, just at the break of dawn. Here's what he, the, the psalmist is saying. To, he provides access to a river whose streams flow from the city of God. That means whatever I need on earth, it will never be interrupted because what is going on in my life on earth does not make it storm in heaven. Amen. The resources of God, there is a city of God where there's a river that flows provision that I need that will never be interrupted. The only thing that interrupts the provisions of God for us is when we get out of fellowship with him. The Bible says we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship. One with another in the blood of Christ keeps on. Fellowship can hinder the brokenness of your fellowship when we're not walking with God in the light. But as long as I'm walking in the light with the Lord, the stream of blessing, the windows of heaven in the midst of my darkest day, the Lord is saying, I will cause you to have favor. I will cause you to prosper. I will cause you to be the head and not to tell. I will make you above and not beneath in the midst of my worst situation. He's my provision. I can do all things through Christ. God not only provides me access to the stream that is uninterrupted because the flow is from heaven, he also provides me with peace in the middle of the storm. He said, in the midst of her, she shall not be what? She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. What belongs to God, even when my, fa when my foundational things are being shaken and the tidal waves are coming, what is foundational, what really matters with God will not be shaken because God is in the midst of my situation. God will not be moved. God will not be intimidated by our circumstances. And so I, I can rest in him because he is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the universe for all time. And somebody said it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And if God be since, not if God, but since God is for me, who can effectively stand against me? I have peace that passes all human understanding. Why can you have peace and calm in the time of a tidal wave and mountains are moving the foundations of your life? It's because my heart is being kept by Jesus, the Son of God, who died for me. Somebody say amen. amen. I can be still because of God's provision. David said, I've been young, and now I'm old. But I've never, not one time, seen the righteous forsaken. Somebody ought to, is David's testimony your testimony? I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Has God been faithful? Has God been faithful? 
He has provided for you. In fact, let me just tell you something. He's been better to you than you've been to yourself. Oh, God, I thank you. Thank you for my peace. Thank you for the rest I had last night. Thank you that I was able to lie down and rest in the calmness of the peace that you give. Thank you. Somebody say amen. Be still because of God's provision. Be still because of his protection. Be still because of God's power. Amen. The nations rage. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered in his voice, he uttered his voice, the earth what? Melted. Here the psalmist makes a contrast between man's authority and God's authority, man's power and God's power. He said when, when man speaks, the nations, when man rages, the nations flee. There is power in the tongue. The Bible says there's life and death in the, in the tongue, amen? And so when men speak, they can say things about you on social media that will wreck, wreck your reputation. There are words that can be said in a courtroom where the judge says, guilty as charged. That could mean the end of your freedom outside of jail cells. It could also mean the end of your life when you get the sentence of death. The words of men have power. But I hear the word of God say, don't fear him that is able to destroy your body with his words or his actions, but rather fear God who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. He said, now watch this. While men can speak and mess up your day, wreck your reputation, and even take your physical life temporarily, when God whispers, the earth melts. All God's got to do is whisper, and all the earth will be dissolved. The same way he said, let there be, and it was. God can speak, let there be no more of you or no more of me. And in the very spoken word, before the words even come out of his mouth, the breath will leave our body. God has the greater power. That's why I'm going to be still. And know that God is God. Be still because of his power. And we're getting behind here. Be still because of his presence. Somebody say amen. amen. The Lord of hosts is what? With us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever felt like you were totally by yourself? Now, for the Christian, what we understand is that while I may feel lonely, I'm never alone. Because not only is God with us, because he's omnipresent. The Bible says that he lives in us, in the person of the Spirit of God. And so God is dwelling in you. And so wherever you are, God is with you. And he is a very present help in your situation. Somebody say amen. amen. Be still because of God's presence. Be still because of God's past faithfulness. See this in verse 8, verse 8 and 9. You with me? He said, come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolate the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. 
He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two, but burns the chariot to fire. He says, we can be still because of God's past record. He brings judgment. That's what the word desolation means. He decides on when judgment will come. That's why, why seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the righteous turn, return to him because there's coming a day when the judgment of God. And so he says, God is the one, if you check his check, track record, in the days of Noah, he told Noah to build an ark. He didn't say it would be 120 years before it would rain, but he told Noah it's going to rain. And if you check his record, everything that God said that he would do, he did it. And not only does God bring divine judgment, but he says, I'm the one who says for, for those who are at war, cease from fighting. And I break the bows and I stop the chariots. I'm in charge of this thing. I've got a perfect track record. Look back over your own experience and you can testify with me that God has never broken a single promise. Amen. That his track record is perfect. Now, I don't know about you. I don't have no perfect track record. That's my beautiful wife right there. She'll tell you. You know, in heaven, they have two books, the book of life and the book of works. I think on earth they have two books, too. One that wives keep. <laughs> God has a perfect track record. Our problem is we have a short memory. God has taken care of all of us. When the doctor said we wouldn't get well, the Lord said not so. Because there was yet work for you to do. And that's why you're here is because God's faithfulness in the past should automatically allow you to know if he did it then, he can do it now. Somebody say amen. Let me finish with this. God's past track record. And I always jumped into this where God's promises, because we can be still because of God's promises. Listen at the promises that are made in, the, in verses 10 and 11. Are you still with me? He said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our what? Selah, pause and meditate on this. The psalmist closed with four promises. When he says, be still and know that I'm God, the first promise is if you stop fighting, stop trying to handle your, God's business, then you will see <laughs> that he's really God. He didn't bring you to this situation so you could fail. He didn't bring you this far to leave you. But he's brought you to this new place where you can see for yourself that he is not only the God of your past, but he's the God of your present. And if you simply have the faith in the promises of God, the faith the size of the smallest of seeds, the seed the size of a mustard seed, the Bible says you can speak to your mountains and your mountains will be removed. Somebody say amen. amen. The first promise is that you will know that I'm God. 
You have a reason to shout. Nobody has to even tell you to stand up, raise your hand, and, and do your holy dance. Because you stopped fighting and you started resting. Here's another thing. He says, here's another problem. Be still so that every nation will exalt me. What happens when Christians trust in God and stop panicking like the world and joining in their conversations and, and giving the same negative report? When we say we believe the Lord's report, what the, what the world would have to, what we'd be caused to do is to also see that not only do we know that God is God, but they see God in us. And they are caused to praise him. The Bible says, the third promise says that all of creation will exalt me. I believe that one day, as we, the Bible says that all of creation is yearning as a mother in labor, we're waiting for that day when we'll be delivered from this body of sin. Is that as we are being still and acknowledging God for who he is, there's going to come a day when the creatures of the earth, every single thing that God has ever made, yes, the trees are praising God, the sun is praising God, but the freedom in which they were created to praise him, they're inhibited because of the world being in sin. But one day, when this, when this corruptible is taken on incorruption, every creation will give God praise. But it's, it's connected to us being still and letting the world know that God is God. Here's the final thing. You will know when we're being still that God, what God will do, stand with me, that God, the Bible says that God will be with us, say with us. The way that Hebrew word is used in the Bible, there, there are examples where when Moses was in the wilderness and he saw the burning bush, that was a manifestation of God. It got Moses' attention. And then there were times when Moses would be in the tabernacle of God and the spirit and the presence of God would come upon the tabernacle. We call that the Shekinah glory. That was a visitation. So sometimes God would temporarily reveal himself, and then sometimes God would hover over the temple, and then his glory would shine between the wings of the cherubims. But this verse in, in verse 11, when he says God will be with us, it's not a manifestation or a visitation. He says God will make his habitation with us. The presence of God, like with Moses, whenever he went into the mountain and he spent time face to face with God, he would actually shine. The habitation of the presence of God, yes, he's living in us, but there's a, there's a way as I'm being still that God will begin to cause us to shine in such a way that people know that he is residing that his presence is emanating through us. I'm going to finish with this. The children of Israel were finally delivered from bondage. They had prayed a long time. They finally were delivered, and they were on their way to the promised land. They finally got the property. And as I have done, God 
allowed 12 spies to go into the land. And I'm giving people an opportunity. You can go with me. We'll check it out. And they saw the vegetation, and it was all that God said it was going to be. But they also saw, they said, we saw giants. And that to us, we look like giants. But I'm jumping ahead of the story. So as they're making their way to the promised land, they look behind, and Pharaoh's army is in pursuit. And so if they turn back to go to Egypt, that's certain death because the soldiers are going to kill them. But in front of them is the Red Sea. And if they go forward and go into the Red Sea, they're going to die because they're going to drown. And so Moses says, be still. And then he says, here's the catch, and see the salvation of the Lord. Shut up! Stop fretting. Stop striving. Get a, get a grip. Chill. Now, catch this. Catch this. This is the part. Moses didn't say that if you don't be still, God won't part the Red Sea. See, God had made a promise to Abraham that I'm giving your descendants the land. So God was going to keep his promise. But here's the, here, here was the condition. God, what he did, he was going to keep the promise. They didn't know he would open up the Red Sea, that he was going to perform in a miraculous act. So what Moses was saying is, God is going to do his part. But if you don't get calmed down, you won't miss it when it happens. <laughs> you won't, he'll do it, but you won't be blessed by it. You won't benefit from seeing the Red Sea. God is going to do his part. But you can experience it by fretting and, and worrying or be still. And watch every single time how God will part your Red Sea. So when you get to the other side, you're going to be able to rejoice and celebrate the goodness of God because you kept still. You were able to see the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Amen. Let's pray.